Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grove Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Nick and I have the honor and privilege of pastoring the Grove Church right here in Fontana, California. Here at the Grove, our vision is to see our community grow closer to Christ, be givers like Christ, and reintroduce the lost to Christ. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged, you'll grow a little in your faith, and you wouldn't just hear the word, but you would become a doer of the word. But I wouldn't just stop there. I encourage you to share this message with your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and anyone else you can think of. And after you do that, follow us on social media and visit our website at yourgrovechurch.org to learn more about who we are as a ministry and how you can get involved and plugged in right here at The Grove. I'm excited for you to hear this message. I can't wait. So get your notes ready and let's dive all the way in together. chapter 15 we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 24 this morning so luke chapter 15 verse 11 here's what it says it says jesus continued there was a man who had two sons so jesus is telling a parable at this time the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them verse 13 it says not long after that The younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Look at your neighbor and say, are you living wild? After he had spent everything, everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he is so bad. um, He is in such a bad state that he is willing to eat the food that the pigs were eating. Here's what it says in verse 17. When he came to his senses, finally, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For his son, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Today, what we're talking about is we are talking on um, this subject of reckless, but not abandoned. Look at your neighbor and say reckless, but not abandoned. This is where we're going to start our message today. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for every single person here today. We thank you for those who are listening to this message. God, we pray that you would have your way through the words that are spoken. God, let me deliver this message in the same way 
that you gave it to me in the way that I received it, full of life and encouragement. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just hear this message today, but God, we would be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So we're talking about this subject, reckless but not abandoned, reckless but not abandoned. Um, there's, there's the term reckless abandonment, which is kind of a play on this term. And essentially the term reckless abandonment means that a parent or a guardian or someone who is placed in charge over a child, reckless abandonment is basically that person saying, okay, I am voluntarily no longer responsible for this kid. And so I'm going to leave them to their own vices. I'm going to leave them by themselves. I no longer want responsibility and I'm not going through any legal process to give up this responsibility, but I am essentially saying I want nothing to do with this kid anymore. So here you're off on your own. And this is kind of like a parent who lets their kid uh, who is not of age, their kid who is like 15, move out on their own and just lets them go and do their own thing. And so this idea of reckless abandonment is really saying, I no longer want to be your father. I no longer want to be your mother. I no longer want to be your parent. So I'm allowing you to be an adult and go and do your own thing. And so um, I'm, I'm sure we know people who, who have kind of been left on their own or to their own vices. And some of these stories are really heartbreaking because a kid has to grow up faster than they actually want to. And so it's challenging and that person ends up having a challenging life overall. And so they have to figure out how to make it on their own. In this message today, that is actually not what is happening. But what we're seeing is we're seeing someone, the son, be reckless, but not forgotten by the father. And so how is it similar in, in, in some cases? Well, you have this son who is full of wealth. And you have this son who is living the, the high life, if you will. They, they have everything that they're asking for, everything they want. And yet they come to the father and they say, listen, I want my part of the inheritance and I want to be left alone and I want to go do my own thing. So this kid is like, yo, I'm, I'm ready to grow up. I want to go out. I want to be on my own. So while we don't see reckless abandonment from the parent's side, we do see a kid who becomes reckless in the process of trying to find himself and finding and trying to be independent on his own. So here he is. He comes to the father. He says, hey, I want my part of the inheritance. And back in this day, um, uh, someone who was wealthy, uh, the, the child or the kid or their, uh, their heirs could lay claim to the, the, the father's or the parent's inheritance. And really what it meant is that they could either have half or one third of the inheritance. And even at this time, even with this story, what's probably happening is we're probably seeing uh, someone who is more of a teenage years of age and not someone who is, uh, who is like a young adult. And so in this ancient world, um, this son most likely would have been in the teens or even a single male. Um, and as the younger son, he would he would be able to receive half of what the elder son received or a third of what his father's estate was worth. And so um, here he is requesting his part. And again, while the father is not kicking the son out, the son is making a decision that he wants to be on his own. This, um, this reminds me of a, a child's story. Um, and I was watching this yesterday, uh, the, uh, the, the new version of the movie Pinocchio. 
And in this new version, and not even just the new version, but even the old version, there's so much that happens in this movie in such a short amount of time. And there's so many different lessons to be learned that I honestly don't know if kids really understand the message within Pinocchio anyway. It almost doesn't even feel like a child's story because you have so many different life lessons that are being taught through this movie that I don't even think kids realize what is actually happening in the story. But anyway, Part of this story and what we see in this movie is that you see this boy who is made out of wood, out of pine. And so he, he uh, becomes um, somewhat lifelike. He becomes real adjacent, if you will, after his maker, the, the, the toy or the wood carver, Geppetto, has a, he wishes, he sees a shooting star and he makes a wish, right? And so Pinocchio ends up coming alive to some sense. He's not necessarily real at this time, but he becomes lifelike. And what ends up happening is Geppetto sends him to school, right? And so he goes off to school, but he, he forgets his conscience, which means that the, 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 uh, the idea of what is good or bad gets left behind. And Jimmy the Cricket is his conscience. Anyway, what happens to him is he, he goes off and on his way to school, he runs into a fox and he runs into basically a deceiver who basically tells him, you don't want to go to school. You want to become famous. And Pinocchio's initial thought is, no, all I want to do is make my father proud. Because if I make my father proud, and this is what the fairy tells Pinocchio, if I make my father proud and I do all of these different things, then I, I have the potential to become real. And so throughout the movie, he is in search of trying to make his father proud. And it's very similar to us as Christians where we go through this life and we feel like we have to do all these different things to make God proud of us. And the reality is that we just have to trust him. The reality is that we just have to do what he's called us to do and that makes him proud. But anyway, he goes through this story and he's trying to make his father proud. And he ends up, um, he ends up, getting lost and stolen. And he ends up in all these different places, right? If you remember the story, he ends up on this island called Pleasure Island, where he is amongst all these different kids and all these kids are doing all these bad things. And in this moment, he's realizing, oh, I don't wanna be here. I don't wanna do this. But then he has all these different experiences where he gets kidnapped and essentially he gets lost. And so what ends up happening is his father, Geppetto, goes to try to look for him. So he is searching for the son. And there's a part of this movie that was really interesting and stood out to me. Right at the moment where Pinocchio escapes and he starts to search for Geppetto, again, Geppetto's looking for him, Pinocchio's searching for Geppetto. And so they're on this collision course towards one another. But there's a moment in this new movie that really stood out, stood out to me that kind of sets the stage for what I want us to focus on today. And I'll play a quick video because, um, so you can get a sense of what is actually happening. And this video is a bootleg stolen off of YouTube. So uh, it's got some, it's a little choppy, but you can get the essence of what is actually happening in this video. And so let's play this. And so then we can get a sense of what is happening here.
So here he is, Pinocchio was lost, and now he finds Geppetto, and Geppetto is turning to find him as well. So he starts telling them all this different stuff that he experienced in this day. All right, then Geppetto gets swallowed by a whale. Um, but that is not the point of the story. The point is that you see Pinocchio is searching for Geppetto. So he goes off and he does all this reckless stuff. He has this moment, this day, that is full of all this reckless activity. He gets sold into the circus. He gets kidnapped by the circus. He ends up going to this island, this reckless island, with all these kids who are doing all these bad things. So he has this reckless day. And so he comes to his senses, similar to the son in the scripture that we read. He comes to his senses, and he says, you know what? I need to stop doing all of this stuff, and I need to go find my father. Very similar to the son in the story, in the scripture, where he finds this, he finds himself out um, down bad, where he's wanting to eat the pig's food, and then he realizes the best place for me to be is wherever my father is at. And so Pinocchio, similar to the prodigal son, has this moment where he goes to search for his father. And what is interesting about this, this clip, what is interesting about this point in the movie is that Geppetto, while he is disappointed and he is scared and he is looking for Pinocchio, he has no idea where he's at. And he almost looks like before Pinocchio finds him that he is out of, out of hope. But what happens is when he sees him, he doesn't point out all the bad things or he doesn't scold him for all the, the, the behavior that he's gone through for that day. He doesn't look at him and think like, man, what happened? Why would you go to the circus? Why would you do all these different things? Why would you go to Pleasure Island? No, what he does is he welcomes him with open arms. And what is also interesting about this moment is that while Pinocchio is searching for the father, the father is also searching for Pinocchio. And so when Pinocchio says, I'm coming to you, Geppetto turns around and say, no, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to search for you. I'm coming to find you. And why is this interesting? Because it is very similar to how God does with us. Where scripture tells us, look, you will, if you seek him and you seek him with all of your heart, he will come towards you. Or even the text that we read last week in the book of James about the father coming near. When you come near to God, he comes near to us. So another part about this that is interesting and exciting for us as believers is that when we mess up, when we get it wrong, when we start doing things recklessly and we have this behavior that does not align the scripture, what we find is that God is not interested in scolding us. God is not interested in making us feel bad. God is not interested in bringing up all the things that we've done. Instead, what he says is, I'm coming and I'm running after you too. Not only are you looking for me, but I am looking for you. I desire you. I want you to be here with me. I want to come and search for you. And that is exactly what we're seeing in our scripture and in this story of Pinocchio. And what I love about Geppetto is he says, listen, you can come home. We can be a happy family. 
And in spite of all the things that we do and every mistake that we've made, God says, listen, you still can come home. You still can come and find family. You can still enjoy the warm embrace of my arms. And that is the part about life that I think we have to remember more than anything. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna do things that may not please God. We're gonna have moments where we get it wrong, where we get tripped up, where we don't exactly uh, hit the mark the first time. But the reality is that it's not the end of the line. It's not the end of the game. We don't have to allow our mistakes to make us and our mistakes don't have to define us. So even when we find ourselves in a situation that we've created, even when we found ourselves being reckless at times, we might be reckless in our behavior, but we are not abandoned by God. And so God still loves us. God still wants to come towards us. God still fights for us, even when we have been reckless and we have gone against his word. And so when we find ourselves in a situation, there's some things that we have to remember and, and understand so that we have confidence and encouragement that this is not the end of the line. And the first thing that we have to remember is that we cannot get away from God. No matter what you try to do, you can't get away from the Father. There you, there you can't get away from him. That's just the reality of the situation. Here we see the son in our scripture desiring to be on his own, to be independent and get away from the father. But what is interesting about what we're reading is that not only is the son trying to get away from the father, but in order to do it, he needs the father's resources to get away, which means that he's always tethered to the father because he can't just be independent without the father's resources. He can't live without the father's resources. He can't live, he can't operate, he can't be independent without having the father's hand with him, right? Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 12. It says, the younger, the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So reckless behavior. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So again, here we see the son desires to get away from the father, but yet he is asking the father for his portion of his inheritance or his livelihood which was earned by the father. Everything that we have or everything that we can hope to obtain comes from God. So no matter how much we want to get away, everything that we have comes from God. We can't get away from God. The younger son's request actually goes against his own rebellious nature. He wanted to live independently of his father's will, but he needs the father's resources in order to survive. And so it's just a subtle reminder that no matter how much you try, no matter how far you try to get away from God, you will always need to depend on God. Psalms chapter 139, verse 7 through 12 sums it up perfectly. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not 
be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is a light to you. Have you ever had an experience where you have tried to run away from God or you have tried to do things differently than what God has called you to do? And in those moments, it is in hindsight, you realize like, man, I should have been dead or man, this should have killed me or man, this should have gotten the best of me or man, I shouldn't have been able to make it out of this. But the reality is that you were able to make it out of it because exactly what David is describing here says, if I say surely the darkness will hide me, the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. So no matter how deep you get into mess that you've caused, it is still not that dark for God to pull you out of it. And so no matter how much you try, you will never be able to get away from God. One of the things about God we have to understand is that God will permit each of us to go our own way. He's going to give us leeway to go and do what we want to do. Similar to the father in the scripture, he said, he, the son, he didn't have to grant the son's request, but the son is asking for his inheritance. The son is asking to be let go. The son is asking to be able to be independent and the father doesn't restrict him. In fact, he grants his request and he says here, here's one third of your inheritance or one third of the inheritance that you are entitled to. Here you go. And he lets him go off and do his own thing. This is an illustration of what God allows for us. Even though we have not earned, even though we don't deserve it, God still allows us to do our own thing. And he gives us so much rope or so much leash for us to go and explore and do what we think we want to do, not realizing that the best place to be is in the Father's will. And so he lets us go and he lets us experience certain things on our own. But what I love about God is that he allows us to do that, which means he is always in control and he just gives us the allowance to go and do some of the things that we want to do. And we quickly realize that we find ourselves in the dark pit or we find ourselves in a mess or in a situation that doesn't please God. And yet we are still able to get out of it and rise above it and find our way back to the light because we cannot get away from God. He is always watching. He is always looking for a way to help you out of your situation if you want to be helped. So we cannot get away from God. The son is described and we and, and the story is very familiar. And you might see it described in many places as the parable of the prodigal son or the story of the prodigal son. And a prodigal really is defined as someone who spends money or resources freely and recklessly. And so that's why he's deemed the prodigal son. He is wasteful and he is doing all these extravagant things, but he is wasting or squandering his inheritance. It's also defined as a person who leaves home and behaves recklessly, but later makes a repentant return. And so a question we have to ask ourselves is, have I been reckless with what God has given me? Have I been reckless with the gifts that God has been giving me? Have I been reckless with the opportunities that God has given me? Have I been reckless with the relationships that God has afforded for me in my life? Am I stewarding what God is putting in my hands well, or am I squandering it because of my own desires? We might be reckless, but God does not abandon us. So even if we answer yes to both questions or all of the questions above, God does not leave us out 
to dry. God does not leave us hanging. So even if we have been a prodigal or someone who's been reckless and we are finding ourselves in a pit that is deep, I love this quote that says, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So even if we find ourselves in a situation, even if we find ourselves in despair, through all of the mess that we find ourselves in, God will always find a way out for us. It, it is um, one of the things I think about when it comes to like the prodigal son is that even, even when he was trying to stand out, even when he was trying to go his own way, even when he was trying to do uh, what he wanted to do, he was always going to stand out by trying to fit in. Always, because he had an inheritance. He was, he, he, listen, he belonged to a wealthy father. And so he had no business running away from his wealth to try to do things on his own. Because at the end of the day, why would you want to leave the comfort and the wealth of your home to go to this uncertain place? And so he finds himself in a situation where he's trying to fit in with others around him and he is still standing out. Here's what Luke chapter 15, verse 15 through 16 says. It says, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he finds himself in a situation where he was not able to handle the wealth. He squanders it by being reckless. And here he is finding himself in a situation that is unfamiliar to the point that he is now feeding or taking care of pigs. And why is this important? Why does he stand out in this moment? Because in this culture, back in this time and in this day, and especially for the audience that this, that this book is being written to, pigs were regarded as especially unclean. So for him, a Jew, to be in this space where he is now taking care of pigs, he is finding himself in one of the most insulting jobs during that day. So he is standing out because you should not be here. You and who you are and your position and who you've been called to be just based on your birthright and your inheritance and being an heir, here you are in a place that you shouldn't be in. So you naturally stand out while you're trying to fit in. And that is the same thing that I think God tries to get us to realize, that no matter how much you try to fit in with the world, your purpose and who you are you were meant to stand out. You weren't called to be a part of the world. You were called to be set apart from it. You were called to be salt of the earth, which means you are supposed to be the tastemaker. You are supposed to set the trend, not follow the trend. You are supposed to be the leader, not the follower. So no matter what space you're in as a believer, your goal is for you to stand out, not try to fit in. The goal is for you to be someone who sets the pace for the rest of the field, not someone who just follows and goes along with the flow. And so here the son is trying to fit in by going off on his own and be independent. And yet he is standing out because that is who we are. We stand out trying to fit in. So here he is with pigs and he has no business being in this space. 
Not only did he go and work for this man, which, which means he accepted something less than he was accustomed to, something less than what his position dictated he should have, but even when he tried to step outside of God's will to go with the flow of the rest of the world, he was standing out. But the other part that we have to recognize is that the son desired pig food. Can you imagine being so hungry, being so poor because you wasted your wealth that you are desiring the pig's food when his position dictated that he was worth so much more than that? He, because he was trying to fit in, he found himself at the bottom of the totem pole. Every time we try to step out of God's will, we will find ourselves at the bottom of the totem pole, scratching and clawing to get something that already belongs to us. He was trying to find independence. He was trying to be off on his own. And God has called us to be a part of his family. Here's what John chapter 15, verse 19 says. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In other words, you weren't meant to go with the flow. You weren't meant to be with the in crowd. You were meant to be similar to Jesus in the sense that you were meant to stand out and set the pace and then naturally people would look at you with disdain because of what you are doing, because you're going against the grain, because you are talking about Jesus at school, because you are talking about Jesus in the workplace. Jesus is telling us, listen, the world is going to hate you because you are not of this world. And yet the son was trying to fit into the world and he couldn't help but stand out because his position Christian standards are in opposition of this world's system. So naturally, the world will be hostile toward all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Every time we try to fit in, we'll stick out like a sore thumb. No matter what, because of who you are, because of what you believe, and because you are in a world that majority does not believe in the same things that you believe, you will automatically stick out. The other part about, you know, um, you know, why we're not abandoned, why God doesn't leave us is that, that we were made for God. We were made for him. How can our creator, how can the father of the heavens and the earth leave us out to dry? Typically people who don't believe um, or don't have faith in Jesus, one of the things that they describe is like, man, how can he let all these bad things happen? And the reality is that God doesn't allow, God doesn't let bad things happen. But there are individuals who choose to do bad things. One of the things that God does give us is the opportunity and the ability to choose. And now you might say, well, oh, well, that's, that, isn't that a bad thing because then people can choose to do bad things? Well, the reality is that if God did not give us choice, if he didn't allow us to choose right or wrong, how would he know that we truly love him? Right. And sure, God knows all things and he can he knows what you're thinking before it even comes to mind. He knows what you're going to do before you think about doing it. But the reality is that it's, it's very similar to what we've described before in that. How can someone tell you they love you, but never demonstrate that love? And so God's willingness to give us choice is an opportunity for us to demonstrate our love for him, which means that we choose him, which means that we obey him, which means that we live by his word. And so in his loving 
gracious kindness, he gives us the ability to choose. And unfortunately, some people will choose to do bad things, which gets us in this space where the world naturally has people who are doing bad things. So even though that is the case, God does not abandon us. Right. Even though our, our behavior might be reckless, even though we might choose to do bad things, God does not abandon us because we were made for him. Look at what Luke chapter 15, verse 17 says. It says, when the son came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. This is noteworthy because even though he was trying to get away from the father in the first place, in the moments where he realized where he is, his first thought is the father. And if you take it a step further, the father was always thinking about the son because that's his son. He created him. He was a part of his existence. And so God is the same way with us. He created us. Every single one of us, there is not a single person on earth who was not created by God and in turn was created for God. Look at what Colossians chapter one, verse 16 says. It says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And then Ephesians tells us why we were created for him. Here's what it says. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are made for him. We are made by him and for him so that we could do good works. And so because we are made for God, he does not leave us hanging. He does not abandon us. He does not leave us to our own vices but he in fact loves us and chooses to rescue us in the midst of our storm, or he allows us to go through certain things that don't get the best of us. It's similar to a father who might let his son, you know, he might tell him, you know, three times, don't do that. Don't jump off the couch. Don't jump off the table. Don't jump off the chair. And every now and again, the son will continue to do it and he ends up hurting himself. And it's not that the father allowed him. It's just that the son was willing to continue to do it no matter how much he was told it would hurt. And there's a moment where you have to, where experience has to be your teacher. There's a moment where you need to experience certain things. And in order for you to realize what you are doing and the mistakes that you're making, you have to experience those things and you have to go through the hard times and you have to go through the trouble. And in that moment, there's a lesson being taught in that moment. And so here's a very similar story that the son is going through. He wanted his independence. The father let him go and the son quickly realized because he squandered the inheritance quickly, he quickly realized that he could not make it without the father. And so he has a realization that he needs to get back to the father. And God does the same thing with us. You're gonna have a moment where you wanna walk away from God. You're gonna have a moment where you choose to say, you know what, I think I can do it better my way. I think I can, I think I, I'll have more fun, you know, not, not obeying. I think I'll, I'll have more fun not going to church. And so I'm going to go and do my own thing. And yet God doesn't strike us down in the moment for our rebelliousness. He doesn't, he doesn't convict us. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, or I should say he doesn't condemn us. He may convict us. So we start to feel like, oh shoot, I shouldn't be doing this. 
but he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't damn us to hell, but yet he allows us to go through certain situations as a lesson for us. And then we have this moment where we realize like, ooh, this is where I need to be. But God doesn't leave us hanging because he created us. He made us. He chose us. Out of all the creatures on earth, he gives us his image. And he uses us and he creates us with a purpose and things for us to do. God doesn't abandon us because, you know, in, in, in making us and creating us and us in our position as, as sons and heirs in Jesus Christ, we have access to God. We have access to God and, we ha- and forgiveness is available to us. Right, we see that, see that in this story in Luke chapter 15, verse 18 through 21. It says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And, and I'll pause for just a moment because I think we will all have a moment where we find ourselves in, in such a pit of mess or such despair or such trouble that it's so hard for us to find our way out of it because we find ourselves feeling like we are unworthy of God's forgiveness and we are unworthy of God's grace and we are unworthy of his goodness. And the son is having that experience where he's saying, listen, forgive me, but I am unworthy to be called your son. And he says to his father, make me like one of your servants. In other words, just make me a slave. Don't make me a son. You know how bad you have to be to, to forego your position as son and to, to say, just, just let me be a slave. Just, just, let me, just let me take the lowly position and no longer be a son. But before he could even finish, before he could even get out his confession, before he could get out you know, all the things that he had done, the father welcomes him in and he has a celebration for him. He doesn't make him feel bad. He doesn't point the finger, but he celebrates the son. As quickly as the son realizes, as quickly as the son squanders the wealth, realizes that he needs to go back to the father, just as quickly as those events happen, the father forgives the son and brings him in and has a celebration for him. And so if you remember going back to the clip of Pinocchio, the, the, the son is, is saying, man, I'm sorry for, for all the stuff that I've done. I'm, I'm sorry for all the trouble that I've caused. I'm sorry for doing all of this stuff. And Geppetto doesn't look at him and say, you should be sorry. You should be sorry and never do that again. You should be sorry. And you're bad and you're a terrible person and you don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to be rescued. That's not what he does to him. What he says to him is, don't worry about it. Come on, we can be a family. Let's go home. Let's go. And so similar parallels in this story. The father says, listen, I'm not worried about all that. I'm just excited that you are back here, that you are home. All is forgiven. And God does the same thing for us. When we find ourselves in a messy situation that we cause, that we put ourselves in, he doesn't point the finger. He doesn't make us feel bad, but he welcomes welcomes us back home with loving arms. We have access to God and there is forgiveness that is available to us. All we have to do is repent and turn towards God. All we have to do is tell God, listen, I'm sorry. I'm I'm here. Please forgive me. And in that moment, just as quickly as those words come out of our mouth, all is forgiven. In this story, in the scripture, the son's words represent 
confession of a sinner. He realizes that he has done things that he shouldn't have done. And it's an example of what we might say to God when we need to get out of our situation. Man, God, forgive me. Man, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not worth being called a son. Forgive me. The son expected nothing in return. He just simply relied on, on the complete mercy of his father. And yet what he found is that there was mercy given, there was compassion, there was grace given. So we, no matter how bad we find it ourselves in, don't ever think that you don't have forgiveness available to you. Don't ever think that God is not accessible or God is not listening or God does not hear you. No matter how difficult of a situation you get yourself into, God is still willing to pull you out of it. All it takes is repentance and repentance is sorrow for sin, right? It's a confession that the offense has been committed against a holy God and change of heart manifests itself in change of action. In other words, if I am truly asking for repentance, if I really mean what I say when I apologize, then my actions will show the same thing. And then what we see in the scripture is the father is actually running towards the son. Geppetto turns his boat around and he then starts going after Pinocchio. The father, God, when we have come to the realization that we need him, he doesn't run the other way and make it hard for us to catch up to him. No, he turns around and he chases us. He comes towards us. The description of the father's compassion in running to his son and kissing him illustrates. So what we see in scripture illustrates the same immediate acceptance that God has for us when we turn towards him. Because we have access to God. Forgiveness is available. We don't have to worry that, man, I've, I've done too much. I've done too much. And so now I won't be forgiven. We always have access to God and forgiveness is available. The last reason why I think that we are, we might be reckless or we can be reckless, but not abandoned by God is that God, we have a father who wants us to come home. So think about the worst kind of crime or the worst behavior. Even still, God wants that person to come home. So yes, the person that you think like, man, they're never going to find Jesus. Or man, this person has done so much bad stuff in this world. Like, man, look at them. They're just terrible. Even that person, God desires for them to come home. God desires for that person to be reintroduced to Christ. There is nobody that God is not interested in saving. Every single person on this planet, no matter how terrible their actions and behavior and their life have been, if they have a moment to reconcile themselves to God, if they have a moment to ask for forgiveness, do you think God is going to turn them away? You think God is going to push them away? You think God is going to run away from them? No, God wants every single one of us to come home to him. And so that is the reason we aren't abandoned. God is not a parent who is going to exercise reckless abandonment and leave us out to drive. God is not going to turn over his parental rights and allow us to just go off on our own for eternity. No, God wants us 
to be cared for. He wants us to be home with him. He wants us to be in his good graces. He wants us to find forgiveness and God wants to give us forgiveness. He is not looking at us waiting to throw something down from heaven that is gonna kill us because of all the mistakes that we've made. God is not that type of God. We don't serve a God who is always angry. We don't serve a God who is always hateful. We don't serve a God who is always mad. We serve a loving God who only wants the best for us. And so he doesn't abandon us. He wants us to come home. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20 through 22 through 24, it says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Quite easily, the father could have said, listen, you, you squandered all of your wealth. How dare you? You ran away. You left home. You wanted to do things on your own. So now go do it on your own. Don't come back. There's no forgiveness. There's no accessibility to me or my wealth in the future, but you are on your own now. The father could have easily done that. God could have easily done that to us. He could have easily said to us, listen, one too many sins already. Sorry, there is no forgiveness available. But that is not the type of God that we serve. And so similar to this story, God desires for us to come home and he desires to give us mercy, grace, favor, future, everything he promised still is available. And that's the description of what we're seeing in the story. They put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and the best robe possible. And even this ring has what is, what is described as a signet on it, which means that anyone who has a signet on their ring means they're a part of something. They're a part of a family. They belong to something, almost like a branding. And so here the son receives the, the family ring again basically saying he has full acceptance. In other words, what God wants when we ask for forgiveness is to completely restore us. Look at it, the father in the story, he accepted his son's confession, but refused his request to make him a servant. He wasn't going to bring him back home as less than a son. And so when you ask for forgiveness, no matter how many times you ask for forgiveness, it is not... God diminishing your forgiveness. It is not him saying, okay, you're forgiven, but now instead of being first, you gotta be second. Okay, you sinned again. Now instead of being second, you have to be third. There are no diminishing results in our forgiveness. God allows us to be accepted as we were before we had done anything wrong. He accepts us just as we are as a son. Instead of returning, uh, instead of this, the returning son was made a full member of the family again. Instead of making him a servant or a slave, he brought him back to the family as a full member. And some people believe that this robe that he puts on him was probably, uh, probably represented the best clothes the father had to offer. So his best robe, think about your best clothes, your favorite shirt, your favorite jacket, your favorite shoes, and think about giving that away to someone who has done you wrong but has asked for your forgiveness. He gave him the best that he had. 
Again, this ring had a family seal on it, which signified that the son's acceptance was, was complete. He was back into this family. And not only that, at the end of the day, with this part of the text, what we realize is that the son had full restoration. And so what does that tell us about God? It tells us that God's acceptance or reception of us based on our genuine repentance brings full and complete restoration. So if our heart is pure, if we have the right motives and intention when we're asking for forgiveness, God accepts us 100% completely free of debt, completely restored. Now, does this mean that we can just continue doing whatever we want and we can live however we want? No, that's not the case. While we might be reckless and not abandoned, it does not give us permission to continue being reckless. What we have to understand when we say reckless but not abandoned is that we have to put more stock in the not abandoned part than the reckless part. Meaning that no matter what my behavior yields, no matter what I do, God is still here for me. And the fact that God is still here and God is still watching over for me, watching over me, should give me the, the wherewithal to trust him enough to leave the reckless behavior behind. Knowing that God is always watching and God is always willing to forgive me should give me peace of mind, but it should prompt me to do things differently and not continue to live recklessly but to live as though I know for a full fact that I am a son chosen by God. I am favored, I am loved, I am blessed. There's a promise over my life. Those are the things I should be trusting in. So even when I fall asleep in front of God, even when I fall asleep in God's presence and he still accepts me, it does not give me the allowance to continue sleeping on God, but it should tell me that God loves me enough to receive me back into his family and into his good graces, no matter what I do. Similar to Pinocchio where he's chasing the father and Geppetto tells him like, you can come home, let's go home. Similar to the scripture we read where the father says, let's have a party, let's celebrate, get the fattened calf out, get the best of the best out. God does the same thing for us. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope it blessed you and pray that whatever you take away today gets sown deep into your heart and you apply it to your day-to-day -day life. If it was as good to you as it was good to me, please share this message with someone and let's continue to grow together. Part of our vision here at The Grove is to be givers like Christ. If you were blessed by today's message and you wanna partner with us in your giving, all you have to do is text GIVE to 844-831-4106 or visit yourgrovechurch.org slash give. If you're looking for a community to be a part of, we would love for you to call the Grove Church home. And to get connected to us, you can simply text GO to 844-813-5747 or shoot us a DM on one of our social media platforms. I pray blessings over you wherever you are and wherever you go and can't wait for you to join us next time. Peace.